Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC, and today I've got two guests with me. I've got Eric Watkins. Eric is the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, an OPC church in St. Augustine. And I have Terrence Dickerson with me. Terrence is a ruling elder at the same church, Covenant OPC in St. Augustine. We're glad to have these two men with us, and they are here with us to talk about the recent events in our country, the racial unrest, the death of George Floyd, some of the ways that they've been able to minister uh, in their community. And I thought we'd probably just jump right in and you'll get to know them pretty quickly. Um, Eric, maybe you could start for us. I know that you and Terrence were able to participate in a St. Augustine community event. I don't, I don't know much about it, but I thought maybe you could start by giving us some context, a little bit of background about you and Terrence uh, being together at Covenant for uh, however long you've been together, and then how this event comes about, and, and just kind of set the table for us before we even get into you know, what happened at the event and, and what types of things you were able to do. Sure. So Covenant is a 12-year-old church that we moved here to plant about 12, 13 years ago. Terrence and his family were one of the earlier families to join the work, maybe close to about 10 years in. Uh, several years ago, he became an elder in our church. He's a African-American gentleman. I'm a mixed ethnic pastor with a, a mixed ethnicity uh, family as well. So, you know, these situations always capture our attention, not just from the church's point of view, but simply in regard for our own families. And, you know, I have teenage kids down to little kids. Terrence has uh, a large family and cares for grandchildren. Um, in their teenage years, as well as even smaller grandchildren. And so we care about these things as everybody else does. And is trying. To, we're just trying to figure out the best way forward when these things happen. So I also participate in a uh, group text with a bunch of area pastors. And we meet together in person once a month. Uh, this is a, a group of pastors here in the area from different um, evangelical denominations. Good group of guys. We pray together. We eat together. We talk. We've been meeting for years. And maybe a week or so after the George Floyd thing happened, which was a, just a sad and painful event, um, the pastors were talking about what we could do. And one of the gentlemen in particular felt a burden that we needed to do something, but wasn't exactly sure what to do. And some of the earlier suggestions maybe were less favorable. Um, and the idea, when batted around for a little bit, grew into the idea of pulling the churches together into the uh, square in downtown St. Augustine. There's a big open square there that's sometimes used for public events, real pretty little area of the city. And that we would get together and pray. And as we talked about it, it seemed like that was a good idea. Um, one of the early concerns that I had was that it not uh, turned into a protest and certainly not a riot. Uh, I personally did not have an interest in either, um, and neither did Terrence. Um, and so as the idea developed, we just needed to be assured that this was not the beginning of a protest or riot. 
And that additionally, it was not going to come across as a slap in the face to local law enforcement. Um, I think it's real important to recognize that uh, insofar as many people in the African-American community or other communities have felt injured and confused, perplexed by this event, angered by this event. It's also been a really hard hit uh, to law enforcement, people of different ethnicities, and we can come back to that. So we didn't want to do something that appeared hostile, but if it was going to be gospel-centered and show love and compassion to our community, then that's like a good idea. And so one of the problems is whenever you push back or suggest alternative ideas, it's almost like volunteering, which was not my intention at all. But we ended up getting asked to lead the event. Plan became one of the area pastors uh, would sort of introduce the event and why it is that we were gathered together on the square in St. Augustine. And then I would get to preach the gospel, uh, which I did from Ecclesiastes 4.1. And then after that, Terrence led in a season of prayer that was just uh, really wonderful. I think it's helpful maybe to hear the language of Ecclesiastes 4.1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I took that into the servant songs in Isaiah, where it says that Jesus, our servant, was oppressed for us, numbered among us, stricken, smitten, and afflicted for us. And then from there into 2 Corinthians 1, that talks about comforting one another with the comfort that we ourselves have received in the gospel. So in my view, this is more a sin issue than a race issue. But that's something that we can come back to as well. So I, I preached, and then Terrence came up and just led a really sweet time of prayer and highlighted some of the particular categories that people should consider praying about. And I thought one of the things that was really helpful about that is a lot of people are wondering, you know, exactly how how do we pray in a time like this? And Terrence's leadership there was really helpful. Terrence has been in St. Augustine. He and his family, he's a generational St. Augustine guy with some background and connection to, to the community. It's quite impressive. And I have a ton of respect for Terrence. I've learned a lot from him. I'm continuing to learn a lot from him. He's a great man with a lot of wisdom and a great friend. And so it really was a, a, a joy to work with him. And uh, I'll stop there and let you follow up with what you want to ask next. Great. Thanks for that, Eric. That's that's helpful. So maybe switch to you, Terrence, if you could uh, start to talk about this event from your perspective, kind of what, what you saw and as you got brought into it, what you were thinking about, maybe even, you know, it could sound like a, a daunting task to be in charge of leading prayer in that type of setting. How were you processing this? What were you thinking about? I mean, you dealt with with the the death of George Floyd and the events after that, in, you know, with yourself and your own family. And then how did you approach coming to this? And, and what did you experience? Just tell us more about the event from your eyes. Well, um, a follow up with uh, at least the intro from the pastors. One of those things that I've always been involved in with trying to get a feel and trying to lead by way of the scriptures and thinking in categories of uh, biblical Christianity. Even in such a time as this, um, it, it appeared to me that we've kind of abandoned God and, uh, you know, abandoned our roots, even, you know, from the standpoint of understanding our depravity and the extent of our depravity. 
So obviously when I saw the, the particular video that everyone else saw, you, you know, you're, you're, you got a mixture of emotions that go through you. Um, and I couldn't help but realize that, you know, in my own mind, but by the grace of God, there go I. Um, my parents raised me up differently and I've never had those kind of interactions. But the reality is it could have happened to any one of us um, in, in either position. So uh, when Pastor mentioned about, you know, the desire of the group to try to do something, um, I realized the one thing that we can all do that we haven't done enough of, and that is to pray and seek God. I want to at least turn our attention to thinking about how we view this from a more theocentric viewpoint. And so um, when, when me and him, me and I, him and I talked, uh, we concluded that, yeah, that would be a great thing to actually lead in. And I would just give the responsibility of the categories. So um, when, you know, I'm standing there looking over this, you know, uh, audience of people from various different churches, it was a little bit overwhelming because you begin to see that other people were going through the same thing I was going through. It's just they couldn't really embody what I was feeling at the time. So I was I was thoroughly pleased to have, you know, members of the body come together, uh, knowing that this was going to be the task. That we were going to pray. We were going to seek the face of God and get some direction on where, where we go from here. And um, so I did. I spoke on the categories of family. Since we're talking about institutional racism uh, or institutional issues, I realized the family is an institution of God that is directly affected. We have obviously the church and then the civil arena. So I wanted people to think about it in those categories and, you know, begin to understand areas that maybe we've not done a good job of conveying love uh, or true uh, brotherly unity. So I uh, just thank God for the opportunity to be able to stand there before the people and help orient them to those kind of categories uh, to lead us to a place where truly we needed to come before the throne of grace. Um, but yeah, that was that's kind of how, how we got led up to that point. But I've also been addressing these kind of issues for a number of years, um, trying to bring a more biblical worldview to my community and those who I interact with. So um, I know we'll probably get into more specifics of that later. Yeah, that's helpful. What, what kind of response did you guys have, Eric, to your preaching, Terrence, to your leading in prayer? You know, a fairly eclectic group of Christians, but all coming together around this issue, you know, feeling certain things, dealing with certain things. What, what kind of interaction did you have uh, with the people that were there? What kind of response did you have and, and what kind of fellowship did you have? I know we were in a time of uh, quarantine and social distancing, but I assume there were ways to take precautions, but do those things. So maybe Terrence, what, what kind of interaction, fellowship response did you experience uh, being in a group like that? Well, it was actually very pleasant. Um, one of the things that I had, uh, you know, requested is that we would actually break up into different groups, people that you don't know and pray together that way. So I had the opportunity to do the same thing and kind of get out of our little hubs of relationships that we know that are safe and, you know, familiar um, to actually call upon God together. And it was well received. I mean, I left when I left the town center area, me and the wife, we stopped to a restaurant a little further up. And little did I know it was a lady who I ran into there. I didn't even know that she was even in the crowd. 
but she stopped and actually made a comment about how wonderful it was and uh, how thankful she was for what we were doing. So it was really nice, received very well. And how about you, Eric? So there were there were two things that stuck out to me. One was actually just before the event officially began and then reaction afterwards. One of the things that really stuck out to me was just a conversation with about four or five law enforcement officers that were really glad to see us down there and glad to see us praying, glad to see it was going to be a peaceful thing, not a riot, not a protest. And you know, and one of the comments that uh, the officer in charge made, and by the way, um, you know, there were black, white policemen, male, female. It was a, you know, it was a mixed group there. But they they said that this has set them back 50 years in terms of their relationships with the community. Like it's taken them back to the civil rights days when there was a lot of tension. And I, I really felt that. It, it just struck me, you know, as a pastor, every time that a, another pastor falls into a scandal, you know, runs off with a secretary, gets caught embezzling a bunch of money, you know, that kind of stuff goes public. It makes other pastors that haven't done those things look bad, and the church kind of wears that guilt of association and has to live it down slowly over time. And I think in this case, you know, that's been the, the scenario for law enforcement officers, whatever their skin color, you know, whatever their disposition towards people in their community, they're being treated now like they're the ones guilty of this crime and treated with suspicion and disdain. Their families are feeling it. And that's, that's, that's just sad to me. You know, there are three institutions God has ordained, the family, the state, and the church, and all three are really taking a beating from the world right now. So my heart went out to this officer and the other officers that were there, and it made me feel like, okay, you know, this really is a moment. We need to speak into the pain here. Um, after the event, one of the things I was really encouraged by was to hear people express appreciation that I didn't preach, for lack of a better phrase, a political sermon but more of a biblical gospel sermon. And, you know, in, in my view, and I, I'm sure this is debatable, and a lot of people may not agree with this, but you know, at least to my knowledge, um, this is, in my understanding, this is more of a sin issue than a racism issue. Uh, not every time that a white police officer ends up killing a black person is it necessarily fueled by racism. Um, and this particular event with George Floyd is heinous, and sinful and ugly and abominable. But that doesn't mean that the sin is racism narrowly. And so the way the thing has just been so broadly uh, publicized and politicized as racism, I think has thrown a lot of law enforcement officers under the bus that, that don't deserve to be there and maybe made this more of a racially charged conversation than a conversation that should be focused on what it really is, which is sin. And therefore, our only hope in addressing sin, it's clearly not politics, it's the gospel. So in a nutshell, those are some of the things that I said. I can't judge another man's heart, um, but I do know that there is sin involved. You can see that in the video. And we know that the gospel is the only thing that can bring forgiveness and healing, repentance and comfort. And so, you know, to keep the work of Christ center and to remember that he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for us, that we all have uh, varying stripes of sin within our hearts. And if there's hope for humanity in a time like this, if there's hope for communities in a time like this, uh, the church can do better than the political system. Uh, the church can bring a message of Christ-centered hope, forgiveness, 
restoration and reconciliation. And I think a lot of people were were encouraged to hear that. Uh, there are people from all kinds of walks and stripes of life and cultural backgrounds there. And in general, I think there was appreciation for keeping the gospel central. Thanks for that. So it sounds like this event went pretty well, even from your guys' perspective. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts on what happens after this event. Do you feel like it opened doors? Um, I don't know that I have much background in what you guys have done in St. Augustine prior to this, but just thinking about the, the relationships and the doors open, how do you see this for your church, both as pastor and ruling elder? Does this open a door? How do you follow through with it? How does it lead to something else? If it does, I, I assume you would like it to. Maybe Terrence, do you have any thoughts on that? And then Eric, if you want to chime in as well, but uh, just just curious if you're thinking a week from now, a month from now, three months from now, coming off of this event. Yeah, we have had um, some conversations about what is the next step. And we, you know, considered um, even talking with people who don't share our same position, but understanding that that may not be something that they're quite ready for. Um, and if they're not ready for it, then the dialogue will quickly break down and not be very helpful. So we, we're open to the idea, um, but we understand people come from particular vantage points. And even their theology, it's, they, they read the scriptures through a particular hermeneutical framework that may justify why they hold the view they do. And while we may disagree with them, trying to build a bridge that we can uh, communicate on, it is a little tricky. So we're, we're interested in it. We're thinking about ways in which we can do that, but haven't got a practical plan of exactly how we're going to go about it just yet. I would color the picture a little bit and say that there are a couple things that have already happened as acts of follow-up. One is uh, there is a young uh, African-American pastor there whose dad actually marched with Martin Luther King Jr. on St. George Street in St. Augustine. And, you know, he told a tearful story. He pointed to a little area of the street and said, that's where my dad was stoned and beat up for marching with MLK. And that pastor had actually been invited to speak and said he couldn't. This was too upsetting for him. And I can see understandably why. But and I think so there's a follow up opportunity. He and I are going to get together and, you know, there's a friendship building there already. Uh, we've been in communication with one another. But I think that illustrates well maybe what some people, um, you know, particularly you know, Caucasians might struggle to embrace some of the pain um, as empathetically, perhaps as they ought. You know, for this young man, you know, it just reminds him of a story of his dad getting beat up, and there's a sense of deep personal connection, even though the event that triggered all this recently was in Minneapolis. But for, for certain people, this hits an emotional trigger and conjures up pain. It builds upon time-developed perceptions and stigma. And there's, just a, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of angst there. There's a lot of unsure what to do there. And so I certainly don't justify the way in which you know, violence has kind of followed violence. Um, I think understanding the pain is a surgical necessity if we really want to try to you know, do heart surgery in our communities. Secondly, I do think the Lord gave us an opportunity to build a little bit of a relationship to local law enforcement. And as a follow-up to that, uh, this past Sunday, we delivered about 25 pies that were baked by a sweet 
ladies and, and some teenage boys, um, all kinds of people in our church. Uh, we called it Pies for Police, and we just invited people to bake pies. Uh, another lady brought a bunch of cards that had Bible verses already written on them, and the members took the cards and just wrote little gestures of appreciation. We're praying for you for the local police department. And then Terrence and his grand teenage grandson, myself and my uh, two two older kids, we went to four different police station hubs here in our area and dropped these off and just tried to communicate very sincerely and warmly that we love and appreciate those who are laying down their lives to protect us, our property, and our families. And that was really, really well-received. I mean, I think that was tremendously well-received. And I think it sent a signal, number one, to our congregation <clears throat> that you know there are some ways that we can engage this. The sermon that I preached on the square downtown, I expanded and preached the following Sunday morning. We viewed this event kind of like 9-11, just something you can't ignore. And so speaking the gospel into the pain of it is what we chose to do. Um, and I think it was helpful for the church to just, you know, hear it talked about from the pulpit and try to cast a biblical perspective over it. But then secondly, to see specific tangible ways of at least attempting to follow up, praying for those that are hurting in our community, yeah, I think has been helpful for the congregation. Because part of the problem in a situation like this is if you say nothing, you're guilty of guilty silence. Uh, in the eyes of many, if you say the wrong thing, you're going to get a black eye for that. So in this scenario, you know, we haven't figured out all the things to do, but it's kind of like an analogy I've used a good bit is if a neighbor on your street lost a loved one, a child or a spouse, you might, you don't necessarily know how to fix that. And maybe you can't fix that. But what you can do is walk across the street and say, I know you're hurting and I love you. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you maybe even bring them a meal and say, you know, tell me if there's something I can do to help. And simply signaling empathy and compassion is often the pretext to gospel relationships. Yeah, that's great. That's actually really tangible and really helpful, kind of paints a picture of the pies for police and visiting the police and, and others that really creates a picture of, of some tangible things you did. So I appreciate that. And I think our listeners will appreciate hearing that too. Um, if I could maybe just start to broaden a little bit uh, the topic, you guys seem to have a couple questions maybe about this event in St. Augustine. You didn't want it to be a, a protest. You didn't want it to be a riot. You, you were thinking about what do we preach on the, you know, the week after these events and things like that. I'm thinking about our listeners now. I'm thinking about other OPC, other Reformed churches, Caucasian pastors, not as comfortable thinking about these things. What advice or encouragement would you give men in those situations, sessions, elders in those situations, as they think through what can we be involved in, what should we be involved in, what's appropriate for us? What about when we feel uncomfortable? Well, I, I think you kind of get the picture. Uh, I'll maybe start with you, Terrence, if you don't mind. Just as a ruling elder, if you could place yourself on a session with you know maybe a predominantly or exclusively uh, Caucasian elders, what kind of advice could you give about thinking about these things as an event like this comes for the church to mm. appropriately minister, to deal with the questions they may have, but also to to not step into the background, but appropriately step forward and and um, you know figure out what to do and what to be involved in. Mm, that's a good question. Um, I guess as I pondered this in my own mind, um, I'm forced to 
kind of come back to the reality is that we re- remember the theology that we preach. Because the one thing about the gospel in which we preach and the imp- intricacies of the theology that we preach, we're talking about a grand condescension where Jesus became man, took on flesh, and he identified with us. Obviously not just for the sake of identifying, but the reality is he took on flesh and became man. If we would also have that same mindset that um, we would, um, as, as Pastor mentioned earlier, talking about showing compassion, uh, showing that we care, I guess it's, it's got to be something that we have to examine ourselves and see, do we really care? Do we actually believe that this gospel, while it, there are a particular group of individuals or particular individuals in which God is, is, is working redemption through, do we really care about those individuals? Um, because as a church and as an elder leading, leading a congregation, it's about caring for the sheep, all of the sheep. Uh, no matter what their ethnicity is, no matter what their background, what their gender is, what is their, no matter what their socioeconomic status, it's not just saying we go to church. It's not just saying we agree with the five points of Calvinism or not just saying that we're Reformed or we're Presbyterian, but that we actually examine our hearts and examine our own actions to see that we truly hold those, uh, hold that theology true in our hearts and minds that that all men are made in the image of God. If we can answer the question yes, then we continue to love. We continue to look for opportunities to share the gospel. Um, but if that's not the case, then we need to do the dirty work of repenting of, of, of failed opportunities, uh, repenting of holding one ethnocentric group above another. Um, and that's we just got to be honest about I can't point to others and say because they've not met a particular criteria that they don't. But I believe it's important for each man to look into their hearts and examine for themselves, you know, whether we're of the faith and whether we actually love everyone um, as God has empowered us to do that. So that's a, to me, I think that's a great starting point is because the external things will, will kind of fill itself out. I don't think I can give you a, a prescription to say do this, some kind of methodology that will help to make it look a certain way. Because um, I am in that context where I am in a minority, even on our session. But I'm, I'm privileged to be at a church where I feel loved, my family feels loved. I uh, don't feel like I'm a token um, because we, we definitely want to guard against that. You don't want to throw your theology away just for the sake of looking as if we are not, you know, uh, like the other church or we're more inclusive. We want to actually make sure the person meets the criteria, the proper criteria. You know, so, so, so along those lines, that's what I would first advise is that we would at least examine ourselves and remember our theology. Uh, what is it that we believe? Yeah, thanks. That's helpful. Uh, Eric, maybe on the same note, just kind of reiterating advice to those that may not feel as comfortable working through questions, not wanting to get, you know, the pitfall questions of we don't want to be tied to this group or that group. We don't want to get in this situation or that situation. We rightly want our I's dotted and T's crossed. What kind of advice would you give to maybe a session level discussion to kind of think through those and work through those and get to the point where you find something suitable 
uh, to be involved in, and reach people with. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to give a hearty amen to what Terrence just said. I, I think it may be one of the more helpful things said uh, throughout our discussion here so far, just in terms of the heart check and the ideology and, you know, living out sort of a consistent reform theology that particularly reflects on the question of how do we view other people made in the image of God? That's a great starting place for a discussion like this, you know, race relationships with the church and our communities. Something that Terrence often does is correct me when I misspeak, which I do all the time, but I will sometimes refer to myself as a mixed race pastor with mixed race kids. And Terrence will correct me and say, that's not right. There is only one race. It's the human race. And the human race is composed of different ethnicities. And that's, I actually have grown to appreciate that's, that's really a distinction with a difference. Uh, there is one human race. We are all image bearers made in the image of God. And if we think less of others that look different than us ethnically, then there is a sin problem that we need to address and apathy won't fix it. Um, and, and people across the fence can sense it. So, you know, that may be sort of heart surgery that needs to take place. And maybe not. You know, I think Terrence is right to say, and there's quite, you know, quite likely uh, for a lot of people, that's just not, you know, the struggle per se, but being unsure what to do is the struggle. And this is where I want to be careful not to pretend to have a, you know, several bullet or whatever. <clears throat> one of the things I've mentioned in talking about church planning on occasion is that what, what works in one area does not necessarily work in another area. And it's not necessarily even helpful to try to imagine a one-size-fits-all approach to certain things. But maybe a way to approach it might be to say that the church has an opportunity to go where the pain is in our local community. And, you know, however that particular pain is manifest, uh, to, to try to reach out with compassion there. And, you know, I think if we're asking the question, where where is the pain in our community? If we're asking the question, how can we potentially minister to that particular expression of pain or whatever the particular narrative is, um, I, I think, you know, our sense of wisdom and uh, judgment will will help us to figure out a way forward. Listening is really important, you know, asking questions and listening and getting just a sense of, you know, where people are coming from. So the way people in, you know, the different ethnic communities here in St. Augustine are dealing with this might be different than if you're in New York City or Chicago or Pella, Iowa. I mean, they're just you know, different ways, the West Coast. I mean, they're just all kinds of different ways um, that this is being processed in different places. So I think that nuance is uh, something that we should think carefully about. The last thing I would say is that this is just my view, but I think so many people are engaged in the political side of it. And, and, and I understand there's a place for those conversations, but I would just say again, the church needs to be the church. And as the church, the thing that we carry that no one else carries uniquely is the gospel. And this is an evangelistic opportunity uh, against the backdrop of sin and pain. The gospel stands like a diamond against a black backdrop. And this is an opportunity to, to really let the love and compassion of the Savior shine and be expressed through the church. Uh, maybe the last way to illustrate it, there's a great little book on the rise of Christianity uh, where the the author, uh, Ulrich, I believe, um, suggests that one of the ways that Christianity spread in the early ancient church is when uh, Romans came through and pillaged 
places that they were defeating, they left behind a lot of pain and a lot of orphans. And it was the Christians that came and gathered up children off of trash heaps, uh, out of burning homes, off of streets, and raised them and loved them and showed them care and compassion. And I think the heart of our nation has just been pillaged, even to the extent of which it's been politically uh, weaponized, you know, all the different dynamics. The bottom line is the heart of our nation has just been pillaged and communities are torn apart. There's a lot of pain. A lot of people feel orphaned. And this is a great opportunity for the church to reach out with loving, adopting arms and take up those who are hurting and show them the love of Christ. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.